0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of the Health Tech Beat podcast. I'm excited to start this journey. The mission of our podcast is to show the real-life challenges of implemented technology in healthcare. The podcast is sponsored by Demigas, a company that develops IT solutions for health tech startups and companies. For more information, check the website demigas.com. Uh, My name is Ivan Dunsky, uh, you're today's host, and I'm joined by a very special guest, Joshua Landy, practicing critical care physician and the co-founder of Figure One, the case-sharing network for healthcare professionals. By the way, Joshua's Twitter bio says, uh, willing to arrive in costume, maker of ice creams. Joshua, thank you for joining. How are you today?
1: Good. Thanks so much, Ivan. It's uh, nice to be with you. I am excited because I just had my favorite holiday of the year. Uh, I was in costume last night. Oh, cool. What what, what was your costume? Oh, uh, a few years ago, I had a a uh, custom-made replica Ghostbusters proton pack Delivered to my house from a prop studio in California, and until uh, I can amortize the cost of that proton pack over enough years, I gotta be a Ghostbuster every year. It's just
0: like Oh use. wow! <laughs> Do you want to change uh, costume for uh, for the future Halloweens?
1: I don't know. I mean, if I, you know, if I could get something really good, maybe like a a really solid dark brown costume to do uh, Back to the Future costume, I think Ghostbusters is a pretty reliable favorite though.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's always relevant. Okay, could you please give a brief background of who you are and how did you create Figure One?
1: Sure, sure. So, I'm a practicing critical care doctor and when I was doing my residency here in Canada, I wanted to be a medical educator. I looked around and I, I sort of thought about the way that we were receiving real life medical education. And I felt like there was uh, a lot more that could be done with it. And so I wanted to pursue that. The residency program that I was in didn't have anyone who could supervise or help me do that better. They were very straightforward about that. And so I, I just sort of figured I would Just start practicing and figure it out later. So Mm -hmm. actually, it was that first year I was invited to be a visiting scholar at Stanford University, working with the Department of Anesthesia there, where they were doing a lot of innovative things for medical education. And we did some research. And basically, we asked the question, how did young physicians use their smartphones for medical education? And what we learned was they did a lot of different behaviors. But when you ask people like, what are you actually doing with your phone? They describe the same thing over and over again. They were taking pictures of things that they were seeing and they were sending them to their teammates or their teachers to ask questions or discuss the management of a patient. So this behavior of like seeing people, seeing cases on your phone from people you knew was sort of like a behavior that was showing up as smartphones were becoming more and more um, ubiquitous in healthcare. This is in 2012.
0: So, Mm -hmm.
1: you know, the iPhone had been out for five years or something like that, right? Like they were still the iPhone three, I think, you know, cameras weren't that great. It was right at the birth of Instagram. So we were at the beginning and said, this is going to be important for the way that physicians learn, especially the people who are like just entering Mm -hmm. medical school now. And I learned uh, that we weren't wrong. Uh, we went to, I went to conferences and I spoke about this idea. And anytime I raised my hand to ask physicians in the audience, hey, do you guys use your phones at work. Do you have pictures on your phones of patient cases? Every single person put their hand up to say yes. So, uh, you know, that type of signal isn't the sort of thing you ignore if you have an idea and you already think you're right, which I definitely <laughs> did. So, I, I finished my term at Stanford. I came back to Toronto and I was having drinks with two colleagues and we started chatting and uh, we talked about this idea. And one of them said, I think I could raise money for that as a business if you wanted mm-hmm. to start the business. And the other one said, I think I could build that as an app if you wanted to start this company. And I said, well, I do. So do you guys want to do those things? And they were Mm -hmm. like, yeah. So we got together like a week later uh, to like hash out the details about like who would do what job and what sort of thing we were going to make. That was in 2013? That was the fall of 2012. And then Mm -hmm. we basically like built a really basic version to see if we could actually make the ends connect, like literally the most minimum viable product you have ever seen. And showed it to a few friends and a few members of our family. And people said, yeah, that's the sort of thing that could work. So January, 2013, we like got together, made the company official. We hired somebody who would help us do our communications and one developer. And we started making the app.
0: And where are you at right now?
1: <laughs> so we've come a long way since January yeah. two thousand thirteen, right? Like <laughs> it's going to be eight years mm-hmm. in January, and the first we launched the app that that spring, right? It was ready for the app store after all the legal work was done. We actually had a bet in our company between the CEO and our communications person about how many people would end up joining the app, and. Oh it did pretty well the first week and the second week was just crazy. Like we had 10,000 users inside the first month.
0: Wow. Yeah, no, it was was really great. I
1: mean, I think at the time it was pretty innovative to put like that kind of content. How did you
0: promote to get that growth? We called
1: around to a few media outlets and we said, we're doing this. We're putting medical cases on a phone for doctors to connect with each other and and share medical knowledge. And they Mm -hmm. said, that's a good story. I mean, I don't think it's that great a story if you published it today, but it was Mm -hmm. a pretty good story eight years ago. And it, it made the front page of our national newspaper, and then it jumped to the internet and it was on the front page of of the website, dig for a while. Uh, That was popular Mm -hmm. then. And then it was on the front page of Mashable and maybe Engadget and a few other like technology news pieces. And it like started getting people's attention. That's impressive.
0: Yeah. That's really impressive.
1: Yeah, uh, the pitch is pretty simple, right? We want to be able to create an opportunity for doctors to learn from other doctors, to share cases about things that you find Mm -hmm. challenging, interesting, difficult. Whatever makes you take a picture of a case, that's Mm -hmm. what should put it on your phone. And, uh, you know, erasing those boundaries between, like, the silo of healthcare. Really, this opened the the field wide up.
0: And uh, being a physician, can you create a segment of people who you trust because i think that not necessarily you trust to all opinions right that's important to get opinions that are valuable for a specific physician so how they can handle that in figure one
1: yeah there's a lot of different ways i mean the number one thing that we did was we created a a worldwide verification platform Mm -hmm. where in nearly every country in the world we can take uh, a user who signs up and we can find their medical license and we can verify that that person is who they say they are, Mm -hmm. and they are a licensed practicing medical professional. So Mm -hmm. today you can't even access figure one unless you have uh, a license to to practice healthcare, right? So if you're a nurse or a doctor, physiotherapist, pharmacist, Mm -hmm. resident, med student, whatever, technically med students don't have licenses, but we can verify that you're a a student at that school. So- Mm -hmm. You know, that's how we created this sort of trustworthy platform is just putting a gate up and saying, this is a network that is for healthcare professionals. It's the cases might be interesting to look at, but they're not there to look at. They're there because people need our help. And sometimes we need other people's help.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, are you focusing on the North America market currently?
1: Yeah, I think we we probably are, and that's mostly a business decision. I mean, Mm -hmm. we've got 3 million users around the world, and only a third Mm -hmm. of those are in North America, which Mm -hmm. means most of our users are not in North America. There's a clear line of how we know how to do business in North America, and so that's why that's the focus of our company. But it has nothing to do with the greater mission of connecting the global knowledge of healthcare. You can still join, you can still use the app, but our business efforts, which means the way that we make money at the company, that part is focused on North America because that's where we can do the mm-hmm. business that we know yeah. how to do.
0: Yeah, got it. Cool. Yeah. And in the questionnaire that you submitted, you mentioned that figure one accidentally discovered uh, its uh, business model <laughs> and that, wasn't recommended as a strategy in the the beginning. So could you please tell us more about that?
1: Yeah, sure, sure. So, you know, we had created an app where you can scroll pictures of medical cases and look at the captions that describe the case Mm -hmm. that is in line with the name Figure 1, right? Figure 1 is named what it is because when you look at medical textbooks or you look at medical pieces of literature, publications, The first picture is labeled figure one and right Mm -hmm. underneath is a caption that describes what that picture is doing in that article or in that chapter, right? So we use that same idea and basically we built a a brand around showing you a picture and telling you what it's for or telling you what it's about. Mm -hmm. And that is a very powerful engagement tool, right? That's why every social media network is basically built on the Mm -hmm. same principle. (laughs) Uh, We didn't invent that part, but we did realize that The same way that physicians learn about cases and you learn how to manage or treat or diagnose a case by looking at it, you can do the same thing with information that you need for other reasons in medicine. So building a business plan for, say, like a pharmaceutical company to show people cases of a disease that we then know how to treat with the treatment Mm -hmm. that the company makes, that was... The first version of the business that went in figure one we have case-based learning clinicians learn best when they see cases if you can take your banner ad tear it up throw it in the garbage and turn it in and, and then take the information you want people to learn and just show them a case then they actually learn it because it's in the format that they already understand how to use and so we just said let's try this and it turned out that these types of native pieces of content were a lot more engaging than the standard pharmaceutical tactics on the internet. Mm-hmm. And once we discovered that, we just went back to the people who wanted our business and we said, hey, do you know that this works better than the stuff you're already paying for? Mm-hmm. And then they say, yeah, sure. Here's more money. And we said, thanks. So it, you know, it's sort of working well in that domain, mm-hmm. but it, we didn't know that when we started, right? When we started, we were just this app that was going to democratize the knowledge of healthcare and build the world's largest healthcare Mm -hmm. network. That's not enough to get you business, which means if you don't have business, you can't get investment. You can't grow your company, Mm -hmm. right? Like you have to build a company and it takes capital to do that. So you can either Mm -hmm. do that by making money through business, or you can do it by raising money from investors.
0: Mm -hmm. So you provided value to the market and then you found your best business model.
1: I mean, the question you will ask yourself in any company is, did we choose the right business model? In some places Mm -hmm. that's obvious, right? Like if you sell tools, well, the only way to do business is to sell those tools, right? I guess you could sell them as a, you know, monthly subscription, or you could sell them as a rent to own, or you could sell them directly, I guess, Mm -hmm. but- For a network of healthcare professionals, we could have turned it into a medical school. We could have turned, you know, opened a patient portal and said patients can send us your cases. Mm -hmm. We'll process your insurance or something. There's probably a dozen more ideas that could have gone, but you do what you know. And um, our team knew how to sell uh, custom-built education to some biopharmaceutical companies, some, you know, uh, like we did a deal with the Department of Defense and we did a a few deals with some Mm -hmm. non-governmental organizations, but it's basically people who need the attention of physicians.
0: So are you focusing on the B2B uh, market right now uh, from the business uh, model standpoint? You said that you're dealing more with the pharmaceuticals companies and as I understood that you focus more on like how you can sell data to this companies that could benefit from it and not necessarily to making money from subscription, from doctors, from physicians.
1: Yeah. I mean, maybe you could call that B2B. I've never thought about it that way. You know, we're, we're, we're a service business and we sell a product to a business, Mm -hmm. um, which are the right, the companies that we deal with, but I don't think we connect them to other businesses in in typical B2B, Mm -hmm. right? This is just highly, Uh, Highly targeted medical education.
0: But you don't charge uh,
1: physicians, right? That's right. No, it's a free model. And that was Mm -hmm. important because we wanted people to be able to share the network and participate by sharing Mm -hmm. their knowledge, sharing their experience. And no matter where you were, we wanted you to have access. Like there's dozens of cases where we see somebody from a place like Haiti or in uh, rural Alaska, or or even places in sub-Saharan Africa where a physician has had a patient have a case. They don't know what to do. They post it on figure one. You get 10,000 responses Mm -hmm. uh, and you figure out what the right ones are, right? Like it's not a question and answer service like stack overflow, right? So people who uh, are expecting that there's going to be one right answer, those people haven't practiced medicine before. There's no such thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But it it can provide you a diversity of different opinions. And then being a physician, you can decide what is the best path to go. That's right. Yeah. I mean, just
1: like any other tool that a physician uses, it's your responsibility to decide which things you're going to apply to your patients and which things you're not. It's all about that clinical judgment that you have at the bedside. You might have dozens of places to go to look for an answer. But in the end, coming up with the plan of what you're going to do that you think is going to help your patient, that's your job.
0: Yeah, of course. And let's talk about technology in healthcare. So working as a physician and being an entrepreneur, like what real life challenges of implementing technology in healthcare did you experience and observe?
1: Uh, well, if you do two busy jobs at the same time, then you have to make sure that you get enough sleep. That was definitely one of the hardest parts for me because working as an intensive care doctor, sometimes I would have a very long night, finish my shift mm-hmm. in the morning, and then go to the figure one office mm-hmm. and you know uh, take calls, do business, try to write some emails. That could be a challenge for sure.
0: Yeah, but my question was particularly about technology in healthcare. Yes. So being a physician or like working and, and seeing cases, working in figure one, what are like main te- technology challenges did you observe?
1: Well, I think the technology challenges we face were not necessarily like technical ones, like mm-hmm. how do you build a verification network? I mean, that was a challenge, but it wasn't with a little bit of research. You can find out immediately that it's doable. Mm-hmm. The biggest risk was how do you get physicians to take up new technologies? And mm-hmm. this is. I think, the most challenging thing for any new health technology company. I work part-time as an advisor to startups, and the startups that I meet are often building things, and they have no idea how they're going to get them into doctors' hands. Because it's, you know, for the amount of uh, a population, there's less than 1% of that population that are physicians, right? So it's not as if you can just go on Facebook and tell everybody about it, and everyone's going to just talk about it and buy your product you've got to get into this network of professionals who are generally very busy and not spending a lot of time on social mm-hmm. media you have to convince them that it's a good use of their time or money or both and they know that there's lots of people trying to get part of their time or part of their money or both so you've got a very cautious population both by nature because the role of a physician is a cautious one, but also uh, just people being wary of so many things trying to advertise to them. And you have to be able to demonstrate that there's value with your product. You have to be able to do that really quickly. And you have to have people make essentially an impulse decision that they want to download your app when they see whatever it is that you're showing them. So building those relationships with uh, a busy professional population was probably one of the most challenging things that we've done. And it's still a challenge today, right? We're not by any means like done that job. And I think there's hundreds of companies working on how to do this better. It's the marketing challenge that goes along with the industry, but there isn't an industry that doesn't have those types of challenges
0: but specifically for figure one you don't have that problem right as i understood you have pretty good traction among physicians and you don't need to convince them to use the product
1: well, the, the best part is that whenever I talk to folks who are physicians about this type of product, I'll describe it and I'll say, it's a network that lets you upload cases mm-hmm. and you can do it from your phone and you can share them with other people and you can answer folks' questions or they can answer yours. And everyone says one of two things. They, use it, they either say, that's a great idea, or they say, oh, I thought of that too.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a good sign.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it feels like we're in the right zone. For that
0: especially, they're not paying, so that's also a good incentive to use it. Yeah, so yeah,
1: yeah, having a free app that definitely helps. I mean, it's all about creating the kind of behavioral economics you want from your target population. Do you want people to stop at the front door and look around, or do you want people to walk in and look around? Right? If you have a paid app, well, you have to convince somebody to give you what two dollars, five dollars.
0: Um, and why, right? So that's the question: Why, why they need to do that to spend right. their money and time? So, for those startups um, that are trying to build a, an app for healthcare for physicians, like what advice can you give to them? Like how they can market their product, how they can convince those busy professionals to try it? I think the hardest thing
1: is to prevent yourself from being convinced that your idea is already a good one when you start. And I don't mean this to be rude or mean, but most of the ideas that I hear from young entrepreneurs for healthcare are not good. They're not good ideas because they haven't been criticized by somebody who works in healthcare. You know, Mm -hmm. somebody has an uncle who's a pharmacist or, you know, an aunt who's a surgeon, and they'll say, oh, well, you know, I think this is a really important problem. And I'll say, how many doctors did you talk to? And they'll say, mm-hmm. just one. And they'll say, that's not enough. Think of how many of these you have to sell. And I, by the way, this is true for like every field of startup, not just medical tech, but it's mm-hmm. especially true in medical tech. Like go out, vet your idea, tell, get somebody to criticize it so that you understand where the holes are. You didn't come up with a perfect idea the first time around, I promise. So, you know, like- poke your own holes, go get somebody else to poke holes in it, figure out w- where the biggest benefit is, and then whittle down your idea until it's just the thing that makes people feel delight. And when you have that, now you can start building a business because you have demand. One of the smartest uh, and most successful investors I've ever met once said, that, his name is Bill Gurley, by the way, He's a phenomenal business coach, But he's also an investor who's been very successful in in the United States with his company Benchmark, Benchmark Capital. They're one of the best performing VCs of all time. He he once wrote that what you need to accumulate is demand, not supply. And most people think about only supply, right? This is how we're going to get a huge pile of these things that we're going to sell to doctors, like, mm-hmm. okay, that's great, but I would much rather have a lineup of doctors waiting to buy something I don't have, rather than have something that I have to go out and get people to buy.
0: Yeah, yeah, of course. And that's interesting, you mentioned that is especially relevant for healthcare. So why do you think so? Why do you think it's, it's different in some way from other industries?
1: Well, so the differences that I'm referring to. Are the ones mm-hmm. where everything in healthcare takes longer, everything in healthcare uh, is more expensive, and everything in healthcare is more cautious. Which means mm-hmm. your sales cycles are longer. Which means the time that you spend between the moment that you have your idea and you make you sell your first deal, that's much longer than you think it's going to be. Which is just a business risk, right? Like you need to have enough capital to support your company through those research and development cycles. Uh, which can be years long. And if your sales cycle is 18 months or two years on top of that, you are expecting to spend four years before you make your first sale, which is why vetting your idea and knowing that that thing's going to sell when you walk into somebody's office, every bit of that extra confidence can help you succeed.
0: You need to be sure
1: <laughs> before. I mean, if you're wrong, it's so much more time and so much more money than other industries. right? Yeah. Like in a consumer brand, like you can put stuff up on your website and and you could sell hundreds of them before you even make anything just by putting a website up and seeing if people will buy it. Put an ad on Instagram. See if people buy stuff that you haven't made yet. See if they'll sign up for an app that you have designs for, but not software for. That's easy but you can't do that for healthcare because you can't sell people things that don't exist because they're going to want to see them because they're going to be put you know on or inside people's bodies. Right. Every doctor is going to want to know how does it work? How many pieces are there? Does it break? If I push on it, does it break? If I pull on it, like, They're going to want to feel all these Mm -hmm. small bits out themselves for a social network like ours, right? You wouldn't believe the number of people who ask us about how we protect patient privacy, even though it's like, right, it's the first thing we talk about when you sign up for the app. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, it doesn't prevent folks from feeling like they need to protect their patients, which is, I, I think, the right way to feel. It takes a long time to start a business.
0: I assume that uh, they even don't need to share patients' names, right? Using the app. Sure. Still, they ask these questions. Yeah, that's. that's yeah, I mean,
1: privacy regulations were something uh, that we yeah. learned about around the world. You know, figure one's available in something like 192 countries. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a lot of hard work. At the time, we had one lawyer who was doing all of this international research. She was incredible, but that was her full time job for basically two or three years until we got all our privacy stuff sorted out. Figure out what are the rules? What can you release? What can you say? What can't you say? What do we have to prevent people from releasing on the app? Because we made a promise to our users, which is we're not gonna store any personal health information. Anything private doesn't come on figure one. That way, we you know if there's ever a data breach, there hasn't been one, but even if there was, we wouldn't worry because everyone's information is totally protected. You're not gonna see any data breach that contains private health information
0: where is the most strict regulations <laughs> the, that you
1: the, yeah so we've seen around the world there's some very interesting ones the, the strictest countries are believe it or not saudi arabia for reasons you uh, probably wouldn't think of and south korea of course so, i mean it's just a regulation bit like we had to write a special consent form for people to use in Korea and in Saudi Arabia there's a lot of layers around which family members are permitted and aren't permitted to give consent for images and things like that and so your family or your own autonomy is connected to that of your family and so there's just a lot more regulation around that.
0: Yeah cool and And, uh, if you could share what uh, problems are you experiencing now in your company and that you're trying to tackle in
1: and overcome Uh, one one of the things that we've always been working on and this continues to be true is we want to make sure that our app is servicing many different layers of professional so we need to be able Mm -hmm. to create content for med students and residents and fellows and grad Mm -hmm. freshly graduated doctors and also mid-career physicians right and that's our market but you remember those are That's what, four or five different markets because med students need different attention than an established mid-career physician whose needs and interests are very different. But there's also every different specialty, right? So Mm -hmm. I've called it the general audience problem in medicine because you want to be able to create content that is one size fits all. But that doesn't work because... Yeah, sure. Right. And so it's not just according to your level of education, but also according to your specialty, right? I mean, there's no such thing as general medicine. There's primary practice, but that doesn't mean that you see just as many, you know, complex bone problems as an orthopedic surgeon.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and the orthopedic surgeon needs would want to see different stuff than the plastic surgeon. And they would want to see different stuff than the critical care doctor. And a lot of these cases don't really overlap. So, you know, really it's not coming up with one really good stream of content. You need to come up with, you know, two or three dozen.
0: Yeah. And it is very diverse. Yeah. Understandable. It's a small number of people,
1: but a wide variety of interests.
0: Yeah. And cases, of course. What is your current primary focus in your work?
1: My focus personally has always been on the medical aspect. So making sure Mm. that the content seems like it would be interesting to physicians, making sure that the information we put out there is correct and trustworthy, right? This is is part of the figure one brand is making sure that we have something trustworthy that people are going to find interesting, but also not second guess. The way that the medical industry solves that generally is by putting references in documents. And we do that whenever possible. But the truth is, if you're making content for people to consume in less than five minutes and it has to cover complex topics like Mm -hmm. um, what kind of vaccination regimen do you do for patients with organ transplants? it requires a lot of background knowledge and it also requires potentially a lot of reading or a lot of references. So being able to do that in a short period of time has been a needle that we've worked hard to thread
0: carefully over
1: and over again.
0: Well, <clears throat> I'm curious, do you wet all the answers manually or is it any like automatic system that can help you to do that? Because I assume there is much, much data on the platform and how do you verify that?
1: Um, mostly we let users help each other out in understanding what's correct and what's not. Mm
0: -hmm. And so if
1: someone says what's the best antibiotic for this type of infection and they'll post a picture of an infection, we're not there to make sure that every person who shows up with their own opinion is correct. We're there to make sure that if you say something and someone asks you for a source to cite a reference, Mm -hmm. we want to hold you to that. So if, someone says, where did you read that? You, you can't just leave it blank and you can't say Facebook. You got you to gotta give us the answer <laughs> of where you saw it, right? So in a sense, it helps us manage and reduce the amount of misinformation on the platform. But the truth is that users will police themselves in, mo- in almost every situation. One person who's more uh, experienced than another might say, you know, I used to think this and then I learned about this. And other people will corroborate with, you know, tens of thousands of people who can comment or interact with a case, the answers that you might consider correct, they sort of rise to the top, just like on any platform, right mm, you sort of see the content.
0: It, it just emerges mm. from the way that people interact. Everyone's there for the same reason. So they ju- just uh, upvote answers and they go up that that's the system?
1: Yeah, yeah, more or less or well, they'll comment or they'll like the answer. And, and remember that you know asking your colleague, instead of asking someone on figure one, it doesn't mean your colleague's
0: right just because you see them in person. Of course, of course. So we are coming to the end of uh, an interview, but I have one more question. Sure. Um, What kind of advice uh, can you give to other professionals who would like to implement technology in healthcare? That's a good question. I mean, you know, the thing I said before about really making sure that your idea is
1: actually something you can build and something that people will buy, that to me is like the center of it. Because if you're obsessed with your own idea, but no one else cares about it, you are going to have a very difficult time building that business. You want to move your company uh, forward. And I think the best way to do that is by learning the things you need to know at the next stage of your company. So if you're at a stage where you've got a good Uh, platform of users, but you want to move into uh, a part where you're developing your revenue for the business, that's where you need to focus your attention. So just like everything else in the world, there's only enough time and space to focus on one thing at a time. Do a really good job each time and move your steps in the right order. You'll be okay. I know that's general advice, but there aren't any secrets, right? You just got to do the work.
0: Yeah, but you mentioned that, for example, having just one answer is not enough, but being an uh, experienced entrepreneur, how many answers do you need to validate your idea or like how much traction do you need to understand that, yes, that's something valuable and we need to move on with that?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think it honestly depends how much time you have to spend on it. Just like everything else, this is resource constraint. You could do research for five years and get the right answer but no one's going to give you funding to research an answer for five years without doing anything else. So maybe I'll give you an example and leave you with that. We wondered if there was a market to have patients put their medical problems on figure one and have them sorted out by the doctors and nurses there. And so we built a website that said, welcome to, and we we gave it a name. It was a different health service. It didn't have the figure one brand on it. And it just Mm -hmm. said, Are you interested in putting your problems in front of a telehealth team that'll give you answers 24 hours a day, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And we actually put, we we advertised that on Facebook. We built ads with our fake website, our fake telehealth Mm -hmm. company. And Mm -hmm. we even collected people's demographic information to see who would sign up. And we put it up for a couple of weeks and not that many people signed up. And so we just said, all right, like there's not an automatic business in making this pivot. Everybody go back to work. And so that was a way that we sort of like taught ourselves a lesson by just asking the question in the most direct and obvious way possible Are people doing this? And they weren't. So we moved on.
0: Yeah, I think that's very valuable advice for early stage entrepreneurs who want to validate their idea. Yeah, yeah. appreciate that. I'd like to end each interview on a little lighter exercise called rapid fire round. Sure. I will ask you several questions and you can give answers, whatever you come up with. Okay, sounds good. So you mentioned that you like to make ice cream. What ice cream do you like to make and for who?
1: <laughs> it's, it's something I, I learned uh, how to do because I had the best ice cream I ever ate when I was in San Francisco for a business trip. And so I decided I was going to learn how to do it. My favorite flavor that I've seen elsewhere, but in my mind, I invented it is a green tea, a matcha flavored ice cream with Oreo cookies in it. Wow. And it's green and it's got pieces of Oreo and it's just absolutely wonderful. Uh, and I make that for friends who like those
0: flavors on their birthdays. Cool. Instead of barbecue. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Cool. What is the location that impressed you the most? What do you mean? Like, where did you go to travel that impressed you the most?
1: That's a good question. I I don't know. I'm struggling to even come. I mean, there's hundreds of examples of interesting and amazing things that I think that I've seen, but... No, nothing specific comes to mind
0: maybe that is one in the future
1: yeah i guess it'll be a further thing to think about when i go traveling <laughs> next
0: time yeah okay and uh, the last one is what the one piece of advice you would give to your uh, 20 years old self um
1: i think when i was 20 i probably was very concerned with trying to make sure that people uh, liked me and thought that i was funny And Mm -hmm. I think probably if I could go back and give myself the advice, I would tell myself not to worry about that because uh, in the end, like that never mattered to any decision that was important to me, whether people liked me or thought I was funny. But I did definitely lose the opportunity to be friends with people or I ruined the opportunity to impress somebody because I thought I was doing what I was supposed to by trying really hard to be likable. And it's taken a long time, but now I don't really care if people like me and people like me, me even more than they used to. So I don't know what to say about that.
0: Yeah. Just, just better to be yourself. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, mostly I didn't know what that meant, right? Be yourself. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like I, I, I'm still figuring out what it means to just be myself, but mostly Mm -hmm. the best way to do that I found is just to stop trying to be yourself
0: and just hang out. Yeah. Cool. Okay. I think that's a perfect way to end today's interview. Thank you, Josh, for your time and uh, that you shared so much for listeners. I think that uh, your lessons would be valuable for early stage startups and your thoughts uh, about launching products in healthcare. But before we finish, what is the best way to get in touch with you so that people can connect if sure they want people. to?
1: Yeah, sure. So if you want to connect with me, you can connect with me on LinkedIn or you can connect with me on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Joshua Landy on Twitter, uh, at Joshua Landy1 on TikTok, and just Joshua Landy on LinkedIn. Hit me up with your questions. Happy to meet, chat, talk anytime.
0: Yeah, cool. I, I will also include all the links in the resources section. Thank you, Joshua. Thank you, all listeners. And that's the end of today's episode and catch you on the next ones.
1: Thanks so much, Arvin.